0: Welcome to the Design to Change podcast on stage. And today we have Arturo Rago with us. Arturo is at the IMD Business School and he's a learning and innovation designer. And previously, that, he was with the World Economic Forum as a designer for the Beta Zones. Today I'll be speaking about his view as a designer on designing to change and how he has experienced that in his career and also towards his next step, which will be for the Canva Foundation. So here we go. I know that from our earlier conversation, we have met serendipitously online. My colleague Anthony introduced me to you. We happen to be both in Switzerland, although on opposite ends of the, of the country. And in our previous conversation, I thought we really kind of resonated on a number of things. You are a multidisciplinary designer, right? So I'm, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile because that's how people now put you into a context. A multipli- multidisciplinary designer who is passionate about telling powerful stories and crafting products that bring together strategy and a human-centered approach. Right down our alley, you're currently with IMD mm-hmm. Business School as learning and innovation designer. You were before a designer at the World Economic Forum, designing beta zones, which I'd love to hear a little bit more about. Uh, And you were with the United Nations Institute for Training and Research before that, conference interpretation, and then moving into the design angle of things. So I think a very interesting kind of pathway into where you currently are and something new on the horizon too. So what I'd like to do, uh, and this is a test of both the content of our book, but also can we have serendipitous conversations sparked by a number of questions without preparation, right? And in hindsight, I'd like to ask you, do you think the conversation would be better or worse with or without preparation? To justify also our question is a good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance?
1: I like the sound of that.
0: Maybe it's not for everyone, but I'm glad you like it, Arturo. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's the best
1: way to, because I, I think in when you're designing events, when you're designing interaction, it's all about kind of finding that. It's it's always a balancing act, right, between how much do I want to design this and how much freedom do I want people to have, right, to co-create that experience for themselves. So it's always a ver- it's a very delicate balance, right, and I don't think there's, there's necessarily a recipe. It's really all about the context and the people that you're working with and your objectives. So I'm more than happy to to give this a go.
0: If a good conversation can shift the direction of change forever, would you leave it to chance? Have you had any good conversations that shifted your direction of change forever that came by chance?
1: Many. I mean, I've had many conversations that that, that shifted my perspective on things or even conversations that actually validated or articulated things that somehow I knew instinctively to be right or to be true for me. But hearing that from a person that, you know, took the time to actually formalize them, right, and verbalize them in a different way. That's also a way that doesn't necessarily shift your perspective, but it validates your perspective and maybe prompts you to action. So definitely, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, I had this conversation with, with, with a girl that actually used to work at the, in the same organization that I used to work for, but we didn't meet there during that, during our time, we briefly kind of crossed each other. We serendipitously met again on LinkedIn and we had a really, really nice conversation about, you know, engagement, community building, you know, similar to what we're doing today. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely, it's definitely possible. And I think that COVID in this sense, you know, in spite of all the, 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 the negative repercussions of COVID on our lives, but I think it's also created a context where we're much more open to the serendipitousness of conversations with complete strangers in a way that maybe we weren't quite open to before
0: not just in real life but also in the digital context because Mm. you know like like i said you know this introduction came through somebody in canada and you happen to be in the same kind of you know virtual event somewhere online or you know live online event but there was a connection a conversation that connected other people to something different and here we are having a conversation about, you know, design to change and elevating your ability to look and act beyond the now. Now, the first question I'd like to ask you is what's currently on your horizon of change? In
1: terms and of what
0: do you expect when you are looking over that mountain to the next one?
1: Uh, you mean in my personal life? In my professional life, horizon of change, okay, a bit of everything. Well, actually, on my horizon of change, there's actually quite a bit of change that's going to happen over the next few months, because I've just accepted a job offer with a company called Canva that's based in Sydney, Australia. And so I'll be working for for the Canva Foundation on a lot of interesting projects in in, in design and change and design for change. And so there's a lot of change, let's say, that's going to happen over the the next
0: few months. If you look back, you always have... 2020 vision on the past horizons, right? Yeah. Or at least it's, you know, you, when you look back, the horizons seem like they maybe shrunk a little bit, or you now have a different perspective with regards to that horizon of change.
1: I mean, for me, it's been interesting to see how, you know, things have evolved over the years. And and if you like, you know, you can apply a design perspective on on life in general. I think that's the beauty of design, right? It's it's a very, Mm -hmm. if you think about it, it's a deeply philosophical, almost existential type of profession, because you're constantly thinking, but also then implementing things, right, and reflecting on what you've done and learning from it. And in a way, I look back at, at, at my life and how all the different pieces kind of built on, on, on each other to lead me where I am today. And when you introduced me I kind of as a multidisciplinary designer, I kind of giggled a bit because I actually started out as a linguist. I was a translator, I was a conference interpreter, I was a copywriter. So I was doing something that was completely, completely different, still somehow related to communication and, and human interaction, if you like, and events as well, but in a completely different way. And then I discovered design, I got into design and fast forward a few years later, you know, this has really become the bread and butter of, of, of my day-to-day life. And I've always struggled a little bit with definitions because I think we have a tendency to want to box people in, and so that's why at the end of the day, you know, I kept thinking every year, OK, how do I define myself? How do I define myself? And then in the end, I sort of said, you know what, I just give up and I'm, I'm just going to call myself a multidisciplinary designer and people will be able to project whatever they want onto it.
0: Yeah, because this is something that also happens in the digital context, right? You need to actually you feel you have to fill in some blanks for people to have an idea of what it is you know, and people. At least my, uh, you know, point of contact with many contextual things in the professional scenario is, you know, art platforms like LinkedIn or Twitter or, or the like, and you you form kind of a, a first picture, right, of, mm-hmm. of what what things mean. So I'd like to take you down. So there's there's two ways we can go. One of them is that, and this is this is something where let me just pop this up for a second. So art book has a number of uh, chapters and we could stick with the horizon of change and continue down that alley or we can spin the wheel and see if we want to take any of these other topics what has your preference
1: let's just spin the wheel i'm interested in the
0: all right let's randomness spin the wheel. of it aha process or outcome good so <laughs> let's Let's go down this 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 rabbit hole a little bit <laughs> further. If we if you if you indulge me, process our outcome, and I want to just pop up the the right one because this actually pertains to a chapter that we have, and every chapter has two perspectives that we look at. The first one is the designer perspective, and the designer perspective allows us to. Um, obviously have the most elaborate perspective because that's what we're focusing on. But a very important other perspective is the executive perspective of the one that owns the events or that owns the change process that you're going through. With your permission, I'd like to take you down the designer perspective and ask you a couple of questions, because these are typically the reflective questions we ask of our readers as well in this very book that's coming out now. And it's also, you know, come up with the instantaneous kind of uh, response to any of these questions uh, because there's no right or wrong, there's just an opinion, right? Okay. So what question will you ask to define what success looks like for the event and how would it help the event owner achieve their strategic goals?
1: Yeah, I mean, the question already kind of says it all, I would say, in the sense that, first of all, it's important to align on what those strategic goals are, right? So what do we want to, what do we want to achieve? That would be the first question. And probably a close second would be what do we know about our audience? Do we have any data? Do we have any insights? Do we have any relationships? Do we have any assumptions as well? Or intuition, you know, that we want to put on the table. So let's just put as many cards on the table as we possibly can here before we start uh, making decisions. And then I would ask, what are constraints. You know, I think design is a process that thrives on creativity, but that creativity has to happen uh, in order to work, right? In order to be, to lead to something tangible, it has to have constraints as well. So what kind of constraints are we dealing with? Whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's people, whether it's technology, whether it's a global pandemic, what what (laughs) constraints do we have to work within and to inspire us?
0: And do you think, because it's it's, it's all about you know, what the event owner at the end of the day, you know, what's in it for them will drive whether this event or how this event takes place or within which boundaries they take place, right? So they set the guardrails, I suppose. Do you think this is easier or harder when you are, let's say, involved with an organization for a longer time? And so you're deeply immersed into the purpose of why these things take place? Or is this, well, so is it easier or harder when you're on the inside? Or is it easier when you are looking at it from the outside?
1: Oh, that's a very, that's a very good question. I think that, honestly, I think that it can go both ways, you know, because I think obviously the more knowledgeable and the more familiar you are with an organization, the more comfortable you feel, the more confident you feel about understanding the context. On the other hand, that can also lead to blind spots, right? Or also to a certain sense of inertia, because you think, oh, no, we've always done it this way. This is how it works here right so you become a bit less innovative over time there's a risk of that right simply because uh, of your own biases about what you know what you don't know what's achievable what's not achievable in that specific context so it can go both ways and I think also the good thing actually when you're external is that you bring a fresh perspective and people need that sometimes but on the other hand sometimes you have to work that extra harder because you need to really be an investigator and really go and look for all those bits of information for those insights right that can put you on the right track and another good thing is about being external is that there's also a much more a much clearer let's say um contractual arrangement as well where it's much easier for example to impose maybe internal deadlines and say look if you want to be here by this and that time then we need to be here today and and I think when you're part of a team that sometimes could be a bit trickier to to pull off So it's really like pros and cons, but ultimately it's really all about the people, the people that you're surrounded with. I think that if there's harmony and if there's a commonality of intention, then I think everything is possible. And actually something that I like to do with, with the people that I work with when I'm designing a session or an event or even a learning experience or a product, whatever it may be, it's really to agree, first and foremost, on the vision. So, you know, the strategic goals that we were talking about beforehand. But then secondly, and I think this is something that is often overlooked, is what are the first principles of collaboration? How do we actually want to work together? What, what We have an objective, we have a vision, fine. That's important to have. But what are the known negotiables that we need to bear in mind for us to be able to make that vision a reality. And I'll give you a very, a very clear example. Like if you, for example, say, well, inclusion, inclusivity is a big, is a core value for us. And, 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 and whatever we do, whatever we decide, we want our event to be inclusive then that is something that really drastically changes the way you go about designing your event and making all the decisions that come with it. All the way, you know, from the way you communicate to people, the way you design your website, is your website accessible? The way you choose your venue and design those spaces, well, are the spaces fit for people with different levels of physical ability, for example? So all the choices that you make to bring that vision to life are somehow based around those first principles. And that's something that I don't see happening regularly. Yeah. and it's a copy
0: so, because there's a lot there's a lot there so maybe to take that to the second question because it almost sounds like that would be then a design constraint or maybe a boundary right so hmm. how does your conversation with the event owner enable you to identify those boundaries right so how do you what kind of questions do you ask or what what are the ingredients of that conversation with the event owner to identify those boundaries
1: well, I really think that it's important to talk to, to, you know, your counterpart, your stakeholder or the event owner, whatever you want to call it, and really understand that context. So they have a vision, they have a goal. Why? Really asking why multiple, multiple times, because that will give you a sense of granularity of their needs, of their desires, also the challenges, right? The, 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 you may come up. Um, against you know in the course of the design process so really asking why never taking anything for granted really having that investigator kind of hat on when, when when you're talking to them and trying to understand that context as much as possible I think that would be that would be the the main thing and then I think really also getting a sense for What they like, what they don't like. Have they had success in the past? You know, how do they, you know, the first question I think was about how would you visualize or help them visualize success in the future? But what was successful to you in the past? Or what was not successful in your experience in the past and why? You know, really trying to understand their story and where they're coming from as much as you can.
0: Like that. Let's go to the next one. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to hear your experience also, maybe because we're talking at event level, but you can also, we almost see this like you know, these types of, I'll just keep this on my desk, these little you know, dolls within dolls within dolls, <laughs> right? So from the very smallest to the biggest, there's, there's layers of change on a session level, on a track level, on a day level, on a multi-day level, on a multi-event level, right? Over maybe a series of events. Let's look at this question for a second. What questions do you need to ask? to make sure those outcomes are delivered upon. In that conversation with, again with the event owner or maybe the session owner, I know you've done a lot of work with the beta zone and develop that as a way to interact right with an expert on a specific topic so what questions do you need to ask to make sure outcomes are delivered upon
1: do we have clarity and do we align on what those outcomes are
0: because different people
1: uh, will have different outcomes so in the context for example of a beta zone session which was all about which was all about visual storytelling then clearly the speaker has specific outcomes you know they want to get their message across they want to maybe get to know specific people during the event maybe they're interested in also having material social media material that they can share after the event. So these objectives will be very different from the objectives of uh, the audiovisual team, right? So that they need to make sure that the lighting is good, that the cameras are in the right place, that the microphones work, that the audio system is functioning in the in the right way. And the session owner, well, they're more concerned with how all of these pieces come together, right? Can the audience be comfortable? You know, how do the audience find out about about the session? So there are multiple, multiple outcomes. If you like, a session can be something really, really complex. If you start peeling off all the layers, you know, of that, of that doll. So really first, the really, really first question is to make sure that we agree on what those positive outcomes are. And then having a look at the constraints, like how can we, if this is the outcome, if this is what we want to be, then what are the steps, right? What? Let's work our way backwards to where we are now. And what are those steps, right? That we need to take over time. And typically with a beta zone and, and you're showing the, the beta zone website now, that process, was generally I mean ideally a nine week process so from the from the engagement from the first touch point with the speaker all the way to the session during an international event that process would unfold over a nine a period of nine weeks.
0: within those nine weeks you would have identified what the outcomes of, of that session what the design constraints are because in a, how, do you, how do you balance the needs of the speaker or the wants of the speaker versus their needs of what you offer? And what does that look like in perspective to the bigger picture of the full event? Because most people come with their own agenda or everybody has a reason for spending time at a particular, you know, claim, claiming the time to go to a specific event, to speak at an event, to spend time with that event owner and all of their constituents. Um, yeah,
1: I think you need to be really intentional about the way you design the event. And if you've got that clear intention and that clear proposition for your speakers, then this is how you can tell a compelling story, right? It makes sense for you to come to our event because this is what this is the experience that we're designing. This is what you may be able to get out of the event. How does that sound to you? How does it resonate with you? And then, you know, when you've got that engagement and you see that people are actually interested in what you're doing, then, uh, and then they, that there is something in, in it for them then you can also say well if you want to be part of this if you want to be part of this story then this is also what we need from you and we're interested in what you, you can bring to the table and, and 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 use that to enrich the conversation so it's a it's a it's a give and take and I think that again for me it's always about telling a compelling story and secondly also agreeing on those first principles right what do we mean by success what what do we need to make this work how do we want to collaborate together is it is it possible for us to collaborate together and there were instances in and situations where you know we sort of realized "Mm, this is not going to work right the 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 format maybe is not the right format for the type of objectives that, that you have you know a beta zone session is a 15 minute session where it's all about telling a compelling story through the power of spectacular visuals because we we used to have this big screen you know in the in the in the beta room and some speakers felt that that specific format wasn't necessarily a good match for what they for how they wanted to, to get the message across and we had to be respectful of that or maybe sometimes the timing was an issue and we had to agree okay maybe a betason is not the right format but let's think creatively what else can we actually do
0: so it also begs the question of you know precedence or like order and sequence right because mm-hmm. th- th- the development of a physical space or having something like the beta zone, which has a certain set of configurable elements within that format. And the thought of the event owner of having those specific topics there and then running maybe into conversation topics or topics or speakers that might challenge that design whilst the design is already kind of framed or set. So what's the the order and sequence when you, and, and maybe that pertains to this question, this is a classic thing people run into, right? You have to make operational decisions or decisions about the design of your event or how you're going to bring that change of behavior about and those constraints, whether it is a, a platform, a system, audio plus video, live, whatever the configure is, how does the design process enable to the desired outcomes within those boundaries to take place, right? So what, what comes first and what what tolerance do you give to the design of the behavior change and the best way to do that and the decisions you have to make to to keep this thing within the principles of what you just designed
1: yeah i mean it's a it's a give and take i mean i'm 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 not sure that there's a recipe you know that, that you can simply say okay do a then do b then do c i mean whenever you're working with with human beings you know things always become more more complicated more complex but also more interesting and beautiful in a lot of different ways so i think flexibility is definitely something that you need to embed in in everything that you do particularly when you're designing an event i think in my specific experience with with beta zone sessions there were certain elements that were you know kind of set in stone already so those were non-negotiable for example we would uh, typically go to the same venues you know where we would generally use the same congress centers we used to work with an external vendor for example that would take care of to a great extent of the design of all the different spaces and that while there was always a chance you know to make tweaks and improvements with each event but there were certain let's say characteristics of the room you know the size the capacity the positioning of the cameras you know th- those things were, were relatively set in stone so in a way that kind of helped us make decisions and, and having those constraints already set for us. And then there are some constraints that I introduced because I felt the need to to introduce those constraints, right? So really designing the format as such, right? What are we trying to do with a beta zone? How is a beta zone supposed to look and feel like? How long does a beta zone last? What kind of audience engagement do we want to elicit? What do we do with that material when a beta zone is over, right? When the event is over, how do we want to use that material? So all of those questions were also set in stone over time and agreed upon. And then that created all those constraints and within those constraints this is where each session then was a slightly different game right each session uh, was about really getting to know the speaker understanding what drives them understanding what it is that they want to talk about understanding what makes them comfortable and and where they want to take the session and guiding them through that process
0: let me pop up a visual that we spoke about in our first conversation (laughs) and you said that looks a lot like because this is something that's at the core of design to change the book and it relates to our next question let me let me ask the question and then get your perspective on that right so the question is how would you build rapport with the event owner to gain their trust and the event design process you intend to use
1: Yeah, trust. I mean, how how do you build trust? That's that's super important, you know, because because really, as human beings, we make decisions based on trust, based on trust, and based on belonging. These are two major drivers of human behavior. I, I I think it really goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning in terms of you create trust by listening, by actively listening to the other person and trying to understand where they come from and really being sensitive to that, right? And making sure that they have a partner in you. At the same time, I think sometimes, I think designers sometimes, which is quite ironic in my opinion, but sometimes we find it difficult to articulate what we can bring to the table. And I think sometimes we underestimate how crucial our skills can be, right? in really creating magic for people and really creating change. And I think we shoot ourselves in the foot by doing that. And I think part of building, building trust is also showing and articulating what we can bring to the mm-hmm. table and why it's important to come along on that journey with us right generally my experience as a designer there's always whenever whenever a project kicks off because I want to agree on that vision because I want to find enlightenment on first principles of collaboration because I'm always thinking okay who's missing in the room right who are the voices that you know we need to bring into the conversation I've often found quite a bit of resistance you know because people feel like okay why are you slowing us down we've got an event to put together you know life is already difficult enough as it is we've got the deadlines and we've got the catering and we've got the logistics you know kind of you know stop going on about your design principles this is not moving us forward I mean not that everyone has been quite so blunt but but I think I could sense you know that that there was a bit of you know why are we doing this you know why are we not kind of springing into action I think we we live also in a culture where we reward you know action at all costs you know kind of spring into action is more important than anything else because it gives us a sense of like progression we're moving forward mm-hmm. uh, but I think sometimes and, and this is really cool to design uh, unless you're really framing the question and the problem effectively and creating that alignment you're not going to go anywhere or you're going to get to an outcome that's half as good as what it could be so sometimes it's worth actually Sitting with the problem, exploring the problem, understanding the people that you're working with, creating that common vision, agreeing, discussing, talking about those first principles of collaboration. And if you do that, then really the rest of the journey is going to be not necessarily a breeze. I was going to say a breeze. It's not necessarily going to be a breeze, but it's going to be so much more intentional and so much more rewarding in the end.
0: Let me ask you about is there any anecdote that pops to your head of an example where? Someone who was really reluctant to go back into that design mo- mode of operation when they were action driven, but you did manage to kind of trigger that. And in hindsight, they might have then understood why. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, many times, I, th- I think I, I, in my experience, for example, working on, on those beta zone sessions, more often than not, you know, I would work with academics, researchers, so really, really knowledgeable people, you know, and, 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 and good communicators in a lot of ways, but they were used to a very specific type of communication, which is, you know, the academic way, right, of, of imparting knowledge, right? So people are sort of an empty vessels, you've got your students, and you have to fill those vessels up with content and wisdom. And, and information and, 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 I, and I, you know, I mean, I don't just want to blame academics, you know, I have a lot of respect for, for academia, but it's, it's, a, it's a mistake that many of us do actually, most people do, right, whenever we're trying to communicate something or whenever we make a presentation, we're constantly preoccupied with what do I want to get across rather than, you know, is this something that actually people want to hear and what's in it for them, you know, we're so preoccupied with ourselves then we don't really think about the most important thing, which is our audience. And so there was, you know, a bit of resistance in a few times, particularly because the beta zone was all about visuals. And some people felt like communicating things in a visual way was about, you know, meant dumbing down the 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 quality or the seriousness you know of the of the content rather than augmenting it and actually giving people something extra to engage with and make sense of that of that of that content but i have to say i'm thinking of a particular speaker that that was actually pushing back on on the idea to begin with and then part of me was thinking okay is this a case where i just say okay beta is not going to work for you But I really was convinced that it could actually work. There was something in me saying, no, keep pushing, you know, keep pushing. It's about trust, right? It's about establishing that rapport. And I really took the time. I think we had a long conversation, I think an hour or even more than that, where I actually say, just tell me what you're trying to communicate. What what is really important to you? What is it that you want people to walk away with? And by doing that, I kind of demonstrated that I could engage with with the content and I could understand, I could relate to what was important for that person, for that speaker. And then I said, okay, let's just go through an iterative process where now I've, I've made sense. I've, I've listened to what you said. I've made sense of what you said. I've taken notes. Let me just go back, you know, work a little bit on my own and let's have a touch point, maybe in a couple of weeks, and let me see, let me show you, you know, sketches or, or, or just a low fidelity kind of version of what we can do. And let's see if that resonates with you. So really taking people on that journey, gradually, you know, if you see that there's a lot of resistance, and, and then it worked, you know, people then started saying, oh, yeah, this can actually take, you know, the messaging to a completely new level. Or yes, you know, this is this is really interesting, there is something there. And then they were in love with it. And, and they love the, the final product, you know, they, the, 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 the talk, you know, the beta zone session was a great success. They really loved it. And when they came back, you know, they, they, they said, yes, we want to do another beta zone. We want to do it again, because it was so good the previous time that we actually, that, that we realized there's something there, right? That another type of session format maybe wouldn't have, wouldn't have done for us. So I think it's about just really understanding people and, and meeting them with where they're at. And then seeing how you can actually take them on a journey and some people are more risk uh, prone, you know, so they like to take chances, they like to be playful, they like to engage with new ideas, you know, straight away. Other people are more set in their ways, they're a bit more risk averse, you know, they need to be uh, convinced and and so you need to adapt your strategy, right, and the way you communicate with them to, to be able to work together.
0: We have a little visual in the book that um, kind of illustrates that point. I think quite nicely. This is still the alpha of the book, but, you know, into the unknown, would you prefer a parachute or a safety net? Right. So it's also about like, I think exactly what you were saying. Yeah. How do you jump into that tiger's mouth safely? Right. And have that courageous conversation that you were just describing.
1: Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I think sometimes designers need also need to understand that I think there is something about also the, the the kind of training that we go through where we're very open, you know, and actually we seek feedback and criticism. We're so used to it because this is how we grow and this is how we perfect our skills and our craft, etc. But that's not necessarily something that we can take for granted or expect from other people. And I think this is sometimes where breakdowns and communication happen, right? Where we sort of project our ways of working and our ways of thinking onto other people.
0: Yeah. Well, Artur, I really enjoy hearing that perspective, especially with your experience, probably at the highest level of, let's say, stake, when people get on, you know, put their reputation at stake, right? That's, That's really what people do when they present at high stakes events. And not just identifying the guardrails and the boundaries, but also having a conversation with the event owner or even the session owner, the one that's actually responsible for that little incremental thing within the bigger thing, yes. that makes it uh, that makes it happen. Are there any examples on that beta zone that you would recommend uh, our viewers to maybe take a look at? And we can add the link maybe to this to the liner notes of this element, one that you're particularly proud of, one that you think, oh, that 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 would be like if if you would watch one to see that example in action. This is the one.
1: So many. I mean that there are so many incredible people that I've got that, that I was able to to meet and work with, you know, writers, academics, filmmakers, economists, historians. It's really, it's really incredible. There are so many. I mean one that the, the 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 was really rewarding to work on was probably one with Thando Hoper, and again, she's one of those people. I think I kind of I kind of uh, she resonated with me because she's also one of those people that is very difficult to box in because she's a lawyer by training, but then she ended up being a model because she's incredibly beautiful, and 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 she's also a thinker, you know, and and she came and did a beta zone on inclusion and 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 the beauty of inclusion and 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 that's because she is a person with albinism uh, she's from south africa and so her story was really touching because it's really about all the misconceptions of the prejudice and the bias that as a person with albinism you know she she struggled with in her life and 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 what, what what it means what does it mean to belong really and and that was a that was a really rewarding session both to design and put together because we worked together on the script we brainstormed together and then also putting together the visuals right how do you how do you communicate that story visually and I remember like something that I will never forget was the silence in the room during that session the room was packed and you could have really heard a pin drop it was you could really sense that everybody was hanging onto every word and 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 she did an amazing job like bringing her story story to life it it, it was really probably one of the most rewarding sessions I've put together. So I'll definitely, I'll definitely share, share the link with you. <laughs> I really <laughs> appreciate I think that. A I think, story you know, the,
0: what goes on in the prefrontal cortex of the designer in the interaction with, you know, the one that actually delivers a message on stage, because once it's there, you, you are no longer there. You become a spectator almost of that moment. Right. And, uh, Oh yeah. You're, you're just I'm,
1: there really to facilitate things, you know, right. and, and, and you are just there, because you have that vision, you know, and you can kind of see from a bird's eye view what elements you need to put together, right. To come to, to get to that point. But then once you, once, once you get to that point, then the story has a life of its own, right. You and, just stand and,
0: back and, and, and the like, magic happen.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And then just let, whatever change, you know, whatever whatever we mean by change, let that change happen, whether it's you know a new relationship that's formed with the speaker, or whether people in the audience have been touched by that story and and connected with the speaker and hopefully, you know, something, something would come of that. You know, change can take many, many different forms, shapes and sizes. But yeah, you just have to you just have to then 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 let it go and 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 let it go into the world.
0: Arturo, thank you for your inspiring perspective on you know the horizons of the change and sharing your stories from the beta zone for for being part of this first prototype of you know design to change i think there's going to be many to follow in this uh, footsteps but i i think with your next horizon you know being in australia and making the shift to canva as your next step we're keen to to keep in touch and to see how things progress over time when you are on that next horizon but thanks for elevating our ability to look and act beyond the now standing on the shoulders of those that have those experiences. And together, I think we can explore those horizons much better. So thank you for your time.
1: No, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Terrific. Thank you.